AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. So, Mike, you found an interesting article about uh, an uptick in, in Chinese DDoS services and how they seem to be, I mean, for lack of a better word, the same. Like, it seems like they're either using the same code or the same templates. Like, someone's just sort of stamping them, making them mass production style. So what's up with that? Well, a group of Talos Intelligence put together a little bit of write-up on Chinese DDoS services. And they seem to be all using the same code. It's not clear if they're all written by the same guy or maybe... Maybe there's a couple people who are sharing the code amongst them. Yeah, I guess you could think of it as like uh, the factory model. Um, there are DDoS as a service sites just being stood up. Um, I think starting this year, like the most ever. Uh, so if you're looking to carry out an attack and you want to pay somebody to do it, you have more choices. And if you think back to microeconomics, the fact that there's more of them, more supply, probably means the price is going to go down and there's going to be more of them. So I would just say that what, what I found interesting about it is we know the DDoS threat is very real. We know the attacks are more frequent, they're larger. Uh, I think the last big thing people saw was you know IoT devices being used in attacks. That means you can get a lot of devices in a larger size on your attack. Mm -hmm. uh, but just the prevalence of more supply, I think you know does tell us these attacks are here to stay. We're going to see DDoS attacks every day going forward, and this just adds to your um, kind of why you would think that's going to remain the case over time, that people are going to be able to easily sign up for a service, pay to, to attack someone, um, and that's going to be kind of the norm going forward. These are out of the U.S., so you know there's no uh, way we can shut these down, given that they're hosted in China. And like you said, it isn't just one site. Evidently, there's just dozens and dozens of sites that kind of look the same, maybe the same graphics, a lot of the same code. Um, there's some you know researchers who've you know, made some assumptions about, well, maybe they translated it. Like one really, um, one person was at the center and did the translation from English to Chinese and then supplied everyone else with the information they needed to stand up all of these, these various sites. But they're all selling the same service. Mm -hmm. You know, take someone down and, you know, pay online. So this is, I mean, it's a growth in the, the websites themselves. Now, whether or not there's a corresponding growth in the number of bots or, or DDoSing endpoints out there to is kind of, a, kind of a question, right? It is a question, right. Because I know we've seen that there are like, kits you can use to put together the portal for your DDoS service or at least the, your personal interface to all the bots that you've got. But whether the bots are a unique population for each case or maybe there's some sharing being, being done there or renting, to be honest, you know, my first thought was, you know, like, well, now there's going to be more attacks, more frequent, higher volume. They're already very frequent and very high volume. But it was good that uh, Matt challenged me and said, well, did the supply really grow? The supply of sites grew, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the supply of bots to carry out attacks grew. A good question, is the pool really any larger mm -hmm. or are they all drawing from the same pool? You know, if, if you had the time and money, you could probably... Uh, to a test and ask each of them to carry out an attack and see if there's any contention for resources on the sure. back end of these sites. I mean, there's, it's, it's possible that they may be using you know, a couple of their own unique bots, but then maybe a, a method like a, a DNS amplification attack or other reflective services that you know, their, their endpoints for, for, for generating traffic are kind of the same because they're 
public services that are being used for reflection, and that's that's speculation, of course. But you know, I really would be interested to see, you know, what it looks like under the hood of all these services. Right. You think of it as, as taking the attack side to more of a model that we use for legitimate business, where you have specialization and you have different roles that are farmed out. And this looks like the presentation layer. This is the yep. user interface. So you make a good point. Did they really add capacity behind the scenes? Maybe not. Mm -hmm. uh, but it certainly made it easy for people, especially people in China, to quickly pay to carry out an attack. No one really has a, an index of how much DDoS capacity exists on Earth. It would be interesting if we had started that, you know, 10 years ago and could see how much more capacity there is to carry out denial of service attacks. But you get the sense that it's always growing. What do you think, Jim? There was supposition that it was different actors was based on the way that they, each platform handled user payments. But if they are different users, then I don't know, maybe we need to go hire them to DOS each other to keep them out of our way for a while. All right, well, cool. Thanks for bringing that one to us. You're welcome. Back in the day, you had to create your own botnet and then maybe write the front end panel to it, and then you could get it to work in a way that you wanted it to and use it to attack people. DDoS as a service is a little bit scary because all it requires you that you have is some money that you can spend online and a target. So it makes it available to anybody for any reason that they want. So Jim, you had a pretty interesting story here about a very unique espionage campaign. It seems to be targeting Russian-speaking firms. Can you give us a little more detail on it? This one in particular that caught my attention here was a, a story that uh, showed up on um, the Security Affairs blog but it's actually re, uh, a report um, of some research by some guys at Trend Micro. This campaign starts out with an email, which contains a .doc file. It's actually an RTF file that is malformed, that exploits a vulnerability in the way that Microsoft Word handles RTF documents. Then it drops an Excel spreadsheet, which has malicious JavaScript embedded in it. And this malicious JavaScript in turn executes some PowerShell, which drops a DLL. Then they use the squibbly do uh, attack to bypass um, some security checks. Hang on, Jim. Did you just make that up? No, I did not. Are you sure? It sounds like a terribly lazy name. <laughs> okay. Squibbly-do? Really? Like, you could have picked anything. Like, I would have loved to have been in the marketing team for this. Um, I feel like there's well, one guy who's like, Steve, you, you haven't named anything this month. Like, name something, Steve. You've been doing nothing. He's like, ah, uh, yeah, sure. Squibbly-do. The drops the DLL, which executes the squibbly-do attack. Like, what does the logo look like for this? Is it just a squiggle? I, maybe I'm giving this too much of a hard time, but it's, it's a ridiculous name. Which executes some obfuscated JavaScript, which drops another uh, XML file that also uses Squibbly-Do as its persistence mechanism. The, this particular chain of events uses Squibbly-Do twice. One, first to um, essentially elevated uh, privileges, um, 
using ODBC conf and then again to as its persistence mechanism to allow it to uh, run these scripts embedded in XML files. It's it's very complicated. Doing a lot of work. It's very complex, and it, it's not immediately obvious why this is necessary. It just looked like a whole lot of work, and it looked like more steps than you could really explain. Like, why would you go through all of those steps? Why don't you just hit them with one of those, and you should be able to get into the system and take control. I guess the big question is, why? Why go to so much trouble? I mean, there's probably easier ways to get your payload on a machine. And why go through so many steps in the middle? I mean, couldn't you jump straight to, and I, I'm going to say it's squibbly-doo, couldn't you just jump to that, the, the reg server attack in the middle? What makes this necessary? Well, I, I, I'm not sure what makes it all necessary, but it, is, it does seem to be a trend uh, among the malware authors lately to, to have these multi-layer attacks. So Jim, is there any way you could avoid detection by using so many different steps? Well, that, that may be part of it. I think also part of it is at different points they're taking advantages of uh, different you know, vulnerabilities to, you know, to execute their next step to finally embed their malware. And I'd like to get my hands on a sample just to, so I could work through all of it myself. Maybe it's something Stan and I can do sometime in the next couple of weeks. I'd like to see those results. I mean, it certainly is a unique as far as I can tell, way of doing things. And maybe there is some advantage of, maybe you're, you're able to bypass app whitelisting because nothing you've got here looks particularly like an executable file or something. You know, there might be something. The other thing, you know, this is speculation, but maybe these guys have a whole bunch of working pieces and they just needed it all to work end to end. Sort of, they, maybe they didn't have technical skills on their own to make one working exploit, but they had a bunch of bits of stuff that they knew kind of worked. Who knows? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, but it was, an interesting write-up that, uh, you know, it was showing a pattern that I'd seen elsewhere, so I wanted to mention it here. Cool. Well, thanks, Jim. Well, maybe it's, it's harder to, um, maybe to write a signature or to detect it if you're doing a lot of different things, as opposed to that one thing you could really focus in on. If things continue like this, it's, it's definitely a new era for, for writing these sorts of attacks. I mean, usually you don't have to do too many things, too many gyrations to get your, your malware on the system, but who knows? Maybe this is the new future. I think we just need to understand it better to know why they would really go through all that effort. So let's take a look at this week's internet weather. As you can see by the, the deltas on this side, not too many major changes, but still worth going through. And we keep seeing the same old IoT ports at the top, 23 TCP, 22 TCP. Port 23 TCP is our old friend Telnet, which still is in the top. 22 TCP is uh, SSH, which is usually falling close behind. 1433 is MS SQL, and that's been up towards the top for a while now. Still kind of a, a mystery as to what it is these folks are looking for, uh, but it seems to be a significant number of probes out there. 445 is up by one spot, and that's our old friend SMB, and that's typically attributed to WannaCry these days, although, you know, there's a number of, of uh, malicious software out there using the same vulnerabilities. And there might even be a small amount of conficker in there still, but who knows? So I don't see any end to this until people start taking it seriously, patching their old systems, or taking them offline. I did see chatter about 445 moving up. I actually honestly thought it would have been number one, but uh, it only moved up one spot. So. It's still very interesting for a lot of folks, but I think that the vast majority of this is still those IoT devices scanning on 22 and 23. Yeah. 
uh, that make up the bulk of the, the number of probes. For the most sources probing, 23 is also in the top. 445 is also up there as well, which is more in line with what I'd expect. I mean, it, you know, WannaCry is a worm. There's probably quite a few infected devices out there that still need to be handled at this point. So the number of sources probing as opposed to the number of probes, it kind of makes sense. Port 22 is SSH, 5358, I think we typically attribute to IoT botnets, Hajime in particular. 80 is again in the top, uh, 80 and uh, 11.0, more ICMP error codes uh, for various reasons, and then FTP is a number eight as well. So we call it backscatter, right? You're scanning everything and you're getting all these messages back and that's why you see the, the Typically, yeah, when you see these sorts of error messages because there was some sort of major event on the internet or because scanning is failing, coming back with a, I can't hit the host, I can't hit the port kind of messages. Right. 5358, we've been watching for a while. 5358 continues to be on the rise after being gone for so long, but not too much of a surprise there. This is another of those IoT ports that's been scanned. And we keep seeing that, you know, there was a major uptick on, on um, around the, the 6th of this month, but for a while it was completely dead in terms of uh, scanned sources. We're seeing 90 days here. I don't understand what this drop is here. It is very, you know, significant. So maybe this is a single portion or the, the, the whole botnet just giving up for a bit for some reason, but who knows? Uh, but you can see it still trends upwards, so I expect this to continue up for a while. 5358 is registered as uh, Web Services for Devices API, I believe, uh, but typically it's associated with the Hajime botnet. Port 23 TCP is Telnet, and you can see a 90-day window here. We had some more upticks towards the start, uh, end of last month, start of this one. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be the king for a while unless we, we work on this IoT problem that we've got. But it seems to be up somewhat in the last month or so, a reason unknown. Right. It, it, this is the time of year where we see uh, people going back to school, and we always uh, thought there was just kind of an overall rise in the amount of scanning out there. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many uh, back-to-school uh, children are installing devices with Telnet running, but uh, there are a lot of things you could stick in a dorm room, right, that could potentially be scannable. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking back to my college days. Nothing that I could put on the, uh, into the, you know, plug into the wall or into the Wi-Fi at my college was internet exposed. There may be systems that are maybe a lab system somewhere. Maybe there's like a Unix lab or a, uh, you know, an IT lab somewhere that gets spun up when students return back and maybe those have not been patched. I mean, it's a possibility. It may not just be colleges either. You know, you have other other grades, levels that'll have, you know, IT associated with them. So when they come back, they'll turn on whatever servers or services that they had exposed. So who knows? 1433 TCP is MS SQL. You're seeing 90 days here, and this is the number of scan flows per hour. The last couple of weeks, it was pretty level, and now we've got a couple of spikes here as well. Uh, and also an interesting plummet right there. If I go back to that other drop, no, it's, it's not the same time period. Day. Yeah, I was gonna say if it, if it really did co you know, coincide with it, that would be an interesting indicator that would suggest that maybe that's the same botnet scanning on multiple ports and then for some reason decided to shut itself off for a while, but it doesn't look like that's the case. But yeah, we're up a little bit, maybe about 20 million scan points per hour. So keep an eye on that one. It's been in the, the top 10 for a couple of weeks, like I said. Taking a 365-day view of the SMB um, 445 TCP, this continues to trend upward. And this was the spike down here. That was when WannaCry broke out. That was the first indicators right there. And we said, holy cow, that's a really serious thing. But you can see it's completely eclipsed it by now. We're almost getting to twice as many scan SIPs per hour. This is around 20,000 to 25,000. We're, we're coming up towards 40,000. 
Was sources per hour. It is really astounding to see that there was a baseline. We doubled that with these most recent worms that were related to the March patch. Um, and then that's actually gone up, you know, again. I mean, it doubled, which is always significant. But in this case, there was so much scanning already yeah. to see it double that it was ridiculous almost. This is true. Almost. If you keep that, that as your, your base floor, I mean, yeah, there was, there was a significant amount as well. And that's still tailing off, we think, after Conficker. Right. Or at least other interested parties who are looking for SMB. But, you know, Conficker was the big one for a long time. Now you've added that much more. Yeah, you've added that much more. It's incredible. Right. People should really be looking into patching this if they haven't already. They've had six months? Four months? Four months? Yeah, more than May, that. Yeah, four months or so. Yeah. yeah. So that's our internet weather for the week. Lots of activity. Every, every week. <laughs> when you start off and things seem confusing, it's usually that you, you're missing some crucial details. There's some part of the story that you really haven't been able to dig into and understand yet. And as that goes on, you, once you've got those pieces, it becomes more obvious and then you look at it and go, I wonder why I was ever confused in the first place. The job of the analyst, you know, is to try to figure out what is happening and, and sometimes when you look back, you say, oh, well, that's what that was about and that's what it was called. So I think um, it's very interesting to explore it when you're still in that kind of discovering what's going on phase. And uh, that's what makes security work challenging and interesting. That's why I'd highly recommend it uh, for uh, young people when I'm able to give uh, I give them some coaching and direction to consider a career in cybersecurity, you don't get bored. Attackers are putting things together like never before. Every day there's absolutely something new uh, to take a look at and to try to figure out and understand and defend against. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.